0: Word puzzle, uh, I want to be able to remind you who we are. Uh, we are a bible believing gospel driven church. These adjectives that are all put up there before uh, they try to help you to see that we do want to be friendly sometimes we 're not as friendly as we wish uh, sometimes you 're not as friendly as we wish, but we want to be friendly uh, we cherish worship, in other words, even when the summer comes and the weather is wonderful <clears throat> If you have to go to the beach on Sunday, come to the beach service. But we cherish worship. We don't want you to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We also are reformed and covenantal. We're caring. We're blended. All those things matter. And sometimes you may not even understand what they are, but I would love to share with you what they are. Uh, In fact, today we have a new members class, an inquirers class. It'll be meeting over here, uh, I believe, um, in the room there, I think about 1230 today for a two-hour class I'll be teaching that one, and uh, we would like you to join the church. There's people that that already have joined recently, and we'd like you to be numbered with the people of God. So please don't miss out on those opportunities. That's who we are. Uh, Being a Bible-believing church, we preach from the Word of God, and that's why always before every sermon, I always stand before you and say, this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word as it was given in the originals. This is God's revelation to us. And that is why it's so precious. If you'll join with me in looking at our text today, it is Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, I'm finding that I'm drinking a lot of water these days. Maybe it's a little hard to get out. Um, But let me take you back to verse 18 and 19 so you can see a little bit more context. Um, This is where the apostle is writing to the believers in this church in Colossae, which is in southern Turkey. And it's similar to him writing to like believers here in southern Delaware. But in verse 18, he begins, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He goes on to say a little bit more when he mentions children and fathers and bondservants and masters. Uh, we'll look at those in a few moments, but um, I have to clarify this a little bit more for you because if you were in Utah, you might interpret this wrongly. When it says, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. This is not plural. okay. This is not saying, if you're a wife, that you should have lots of husbands, or if you are a husband, you should have lots of wives. That is not what Paul is telling us at all, and I'll explain that to you in a little bit. Basically, it's, it's saying all the wives of the church, he says, submit to your own husband. That's why it's clearly distinguished there. It's, there's a, uh, not, not a possessive, but there's a linkage, and then when he goes to the verse 19, husbands... Basically, he's looking at the men, and he says, love your own wife. And then he says something that nobody expected. And do not be harsh with her. Do not be harsh with her. Now, there are several other passages that I have highlighted. If you take your bulletin card, you're going to be able to see that when we're looking at this particular thing on Pentecost Sunday, there are several extra verses that I wanted to add uh, so that you could hear them in your ears, for this is God's Word. And uh, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, I wanted to read this text for you. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. If you understand the context of that, in Genesis chapter 2, God has made man. He formed him out of the dust of the ground, and Adam was there. He was given a task and everything, but God said it. He didn't say it was very good until he answered this issue. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So finally, when there was a helper fit for him, whose name Adam called Eve uh, that's when it was very good. Now, there's another passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Uh, it's not 2 Timothy, but 1 Timothy 3. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer... In other words, let me help you to understand this one. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is planning a church. Okay, And he says to him, he says, this is true. This is a trustworthy saying. If a, if a person is aspiring to the office of an overseer, which is the, another word for bishop... Which is which is also similar to a pastor uh, and a preacher. If someone aspires to this office, he desires a noble task. Listen how how he explains this person. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's a hard one to get past. To be above reproach, and he must be a husband, the husband of one wife. That's where I wanted to make sure you got the clarification that the apostle didn't tell everybody they could have lots of wives. No, when he's saying the church leaders need to only have one wife. Okay, so he says this is, this is a trustworthy saying that, that an officer, uh, a pastor, uh, must have, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, Hospitable, apt to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a lover, uh, not a lover of money either. So the, if you can look in that list, did you notice how important being a godly husband is in the New Testament? Now, if you look at the next verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 13, uh, this one's a little bit harder to understand. Uh, he was writing to another church in Corinth, which was a, 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 basically it was like a harbor town and a lot of, lot of stuff going on in Corinth. They ended up getting several epistles. Two of them are recorded for us, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But in chapter 11, right before he gets to the, to the misuse of the uh, communion, which begins in verse 26. Right before that, he's talking about uh, the difference between men and women. And uh, he says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is in the image and glory of God, but a woman is in the glory of man. Verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, uh, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, which is the Genesis passage, and so man is now born of woman, and all things are of God." Now, it's interesting. Most people want to skip over all of this because they're asking the question, do you need to wear a covering? Do you need to wear a hat? Do you need to uh, do some of these things? Uh, We can get into that in another day. I just wanted to show you that the Apostle Paul was not shy about showing the distinction between men and women, and even in their participation in church. Now, I take you also to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, I don't know if you'll have all the same verses, but... um, I mean, I want to be able to jump you down to verse 22, uh, where this is a parallel passage. What I mean by parallel, just like if you read Matthew and Mark and Luke, there's a lot of parallels. You can read about the story here, here, or here. The way that the three gospel writers, they had the uh, synoptics. They were almost like synonyms. Well, if you look at the book of Colossians, a sister book is the book of Ephesians, And for those of you that are figuring this all out, Paul is in prison. He is writing to the people in Colossae, and he's also writing another letter to the church in Ephesus. And it's about the same time frame. They're both from southern Turkey. Ephesus is along the coast, uh, whereas inland is where Colossae is. Very similar, though. And when I read these verses, you're going to almost sound like they're the same. But listen to the distinctions. As Paul writes in verse 22, Ephesians 5... sanctify her or set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present that church, that bride to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing that she may be holy and even without blemish. He doesn't stop there. And to the church at Ephesus, he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and those two individuals shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. If I could take you now... To, to let this sink in, uh, when I mentioned this, this, um, <laughs> this service, when I was pre- or telling some of my family members about the text last week, about uh, you know, some of the joke about uh, a New Testament servant, ser- sermon about wives would mean that they need to be silent and they need to uh, uh, go home and they need to be friendly with their husbands. I mean, when, when they heard that, my, my one relative started to laugh. Uh, it was a she. And she's like, obey your husband? Why does that sound so strange to us? It seems so foreign in, in our own culture. It's almost like when I read these words, almost all of us begin to think that we're going back in time to some patriarchal period when, when um, almost like Fred Flintstone with Wilma. And some of you... Don't even go far that back to even know about the Flintstones. But the, the, uh, the point I wanted to bring out here is that these things are important and we cannot ignore them. Why am I addressing them? You know, is it because some of you are bad and some of you are good? You know, do I have to deal with this because it's an issue? Well, it was an issue back in Paul's day, and that's why he's addressing it. There was a, a, a short-term pastor, at Epaphras, uh, who had written some letters and communicated with Paul while he was in prison, and basically, from those communications, the apostle, with the influence of the Holy Spirit upon him, ends up giving him these inputs. First thing I want you to see is the reason we're dealing with this text is because it's biblical. Okay, And and by way of introduction, if you look there in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. And set your earthly mind on things that are above as well, not on the things on the earth. And so there's a sense in which after the apostle has written two chapters, now he's telling us that there's something that we're going to practice. We're going to live in this. He says, you're not going to just stay earthly. In Sunday school, I talked about having a helicopter view. In other words, God's giving you insights into the way we live our lives as Christians, or as I would say, in Christ. And when he starts to get into the details, uh, there are several of them. If you'll start in verse 18, he starts off by saying, Wives, Second, he goes, in verse 19, husbands. In verse 20, he mentions children uh, in relation to their parents. In verse 21, he mentions fathers in relation to their children. In verse 22, he says, bondservants obey in everything your earthly masters. Okay? And then in chapter 4, he comes back to the masters, the, the bosses, and he says, treat your laborers justly and fairly. Now... Did you catch all the different relationships that were there? It basically breaks down into two kind of categories. The one set of categories was all about the family unit. And the other one was about how you're going to make an income. Okay? It was about commerce. Now, we're going to have fun when we look at those verses too. But the reason why Paul was trying to address this to the believers in Colossae, is because they needed help to understand what does it look like? If you're in Christ, what does a family unit look like? Do you get to make it up? Do you get to just, well, I think it ought to be this and this. You know, uh, I mean, today people are already doing it. Uh, I mean, I was listening uh, to one person who was telling me that you can have a family unit that got two people or three people. Um, Things like binary or I'm not sure what the other words are. It is amazing what people are trying to come up with to be able to describe the family unit because they don't like the family unit that God has set up for those who love him. There's some real beautiful things in here, and I want you to see that. Uh, Now, it's interesting now, if you're in Christ, things should be different. And that verse in 2 Corinthians uh, Corinthians 5, 17, where it says that when, when you become a Christian, behold, all things become new. And if you follow along in that particular passage, he says he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And so it's really interesting that when you become a Christian, instead of just continuing on the same path that you've been on, which is doing everything like the world, like Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. He says, because when you become a Christian, you are transformed. You're supposed to have your mind renewed. And so he basically says when, the, when you are being transformed to combine both passages, then you are given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what are you reconciling? You're reconciling the way it is to the way God had it. In other words, you don't just stay on the same track doing the same thing and doing like everybody else does. You end up reconciling to God and you get back to the restoration. It's kind of like if... Uh, If you have a car that goes through, uh, you know, if if you get all that pollen on your car, I was just washing a few cars at our house yesterday, uh, when you clean it off, it looks so much nicer. It looks a lot more like it did when you first got the car. When if you just let it be covered with that yellow stuff, it doesn't look the same. There's no, there's no beating of water. There's none of that beautiful shine that you would have. And so the idea of the ministry of reconciliation, it's not just an external thing where as a Christian, you're in Christ, now your externals are all different. No, 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 no. If you look at the text, the Apostle Paul is telling the people there, you're changing from the inside out. It's going to reconcile all of the family unit uh, angles to what God had originally set. And he starts off with, as I said, with the wives, and then going to the husbands, and then going to the parental roles, and you can see how that all unfolds in the text. Now, if you go to Philippians 1.6, my father's favorite verse, it is that if God begins this work of transformation, what's going to happen? Is he going to peter out? Is he going to just say, oh, well, we're far enough. No, no, if you're looking at the text, and I think some of you are, if God starts a work in you, he is going to finish it. He is going to perfect it until he's returning. Okay, and that's one of the neat things, is that if he has already started a work in making us in Christ and and reconciling these relationships, you know, that we're going to be, uh, as a husband or as a wife, we're going to have them reconciled the way they should be. It's really neat that God is the one who's going to follow through on it uh, he is the one at work within us. Uh, and I, I often see uh, in, in Isaiah 55, uh, there is this, this passage that talks about that when the God's word goes forth, it always accomplishes what it is supposed to accomplish. And I believe that as the word of God goes out today, all of us are going to be convicted by it. Some of you actually will be laughing in a few moments, and some of you will be crying. But God will work on your heart to change you, to conform you to his image. And that's why marital bliss can be often something really, really kind of interesting um, because what is marital bliss in 2020, 2021? A lot of people today have given up on marriage. A lot of people don't want to have to go through all the rigmarole. Even during the COVID time, so many people didn't even get wed, get, have weddings. You know? And if, if you watch it, I'm watching how folks are moving further and further away from having the traditional church weddings and a lot of them are just having justice of the pieces, or they just have some somebody else just go ahead and say, you're married. It's, it's really interesting how marriage has changed, and I think a lot of it is because they don't get the training, they don't get the teaching that is available to us. And so if you will, uh, just take notice with me that what we're going to be tackling today is that particular verse in first or in. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Colossians 1, 19. It is in the context of putting off the old things and putting on the new. And, he, and then as he explains it for us, I wanted to be able to walk it through, is that this new life that we have, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So if you're following along with me, uh, that this challenge in the particular text, wives submit to your own husbands and husbands love your wives. Now, having laid all that out, the first, there's three points that I'm going to be tackling today. And uh, if you're taking notes or if you have the fourth point, which is on the table in the back by the cross, the first point is uh, the, the lady, as I've put it on here before, I think I can read it for you here. The lady is put, uh, our text puts the lady first in the textual chronology. I know those are interesting words, but I want to explain it to you in just a minute. The second point is going to be our our text puts the lady first in the troubadour's concentration. In other words, in the mind of the, the lover there, the husband. And the third thing is our text puts the lady first in the trainee's conversion. This is kind of an interesting thought, and when you see all of this, right out of uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, uh, and also including verse 18. So let's quickly look at that, if you will, and, and uh, as, we, as we tackle this particular text, I want to read verse 18 and 19 one more time for you. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Now, when you start to unpack all of this particular passage, you're going to clearly see that the ladies do come first. And that's an interesting question that I was trying to raise, which is, um, why did he put the ladies first? Okay, some of you don't quite get it yet. If you look at verse 18, who's first? Wives. If you look at verse 19, who's there? Husbands. Why did God start with the wives instead of the husbands? Our text clearly puts, uh, in the textual critique, he clearly puts wives before the husbands. Now, I don't know about you, but I take notice of these things. Okay, that was the book of Colossians. You remember from the book of, of Ephesians. Who came first, the wives or the husbands? I see all of you are real sharp today. It's the wives that came first. And even when you go to 1 Peter, uh, which we'll end up reading before we finish, even in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter ends up starting with wives first before he mentions husbands. Now, and Peter does a little interesting twist, though. He ends up dealing with some of the commerce issues before he deals with the family unit. Uh, so he does switch those things. But for the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter, he always is seeming to start with the wife first. And when I was thinking through this about the wife first, Wow. That almost sounds chauvinistic these days. It's kind of like, open the door for a lady. But he ends up dealing with this particular matter first. Wives, you guys need to deal with this. And the big issue there for the wives was that they were supposed to submit to their own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, As I went home and we were doing our fourth point, we were talking about it among family, uh, one of my children ended up saying, "Uh, Dad... You really didn't explain submission. Do any of you need to know what submission is? It's, can any of you demonstrate submission for me? Make it easier for me. Uh, Let me ask you a harder question. Have you ever seen a wife submit to her husband? Have you ever seen it? Wives, do you have moments in your mind when you know that you're submitting? Does it feel like it happens like once a day? The reason I'm asking you these kind of questions is because it's so hard for us to think. When Tracy and I got married... It was kind of fun in our vows. We actually quoted a lot of scripture. And uh, during the rehearsal dinner, when we were up there in front of my dad, who was doing the wedding for us, uh, she ended up quoting from the book of Ruth, you know, where where it says, I will do you no good and evil all the days of your life. (laughs) I was a little afraid when you said that. But when she took her vow in church that next day, she did it right. But the idea there, I think we even had the word obey in our vows uh, because one of the translations in the King James Version does that. Now, have you heard that idea today that women will obey their husbands? (laughs) Don't you love the silence? You guys are having a similar response as one of my family members, one of my sisters. This is so uncomfortable. When I challenged you at the end of last service, I was asking you to name three people that are modeling what it means to be a good wife. I'm going to add that today. I want to ask, you know, to find some men that are going to model what God says about men. Because most people, when you talk about wives first, wives should submit to their own husbands. You know what most of you will do immediately after I say that? You will move to verse 19. Verse 19. If I only had a husband that loved me like Jesus loved the church. By the way, that's Ephesians 5. Colossians 5 says, Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives as you're loving them. It's really quite interesting to see how difficult this is for us. But the lady is first in the order of textual chronology. It is repeated again and again. There's something to this. And when you read in 1 Corinthians, where he says, uh, where Paul is telling the people there in that sin city, uh, some, of, some of the ladies became Christians, some of the men, their husbands hadn't become Christians. And so he even there in chapter 7 and 8, he even gives them challenge to do even above and beyond. He says, he says, work with your husbands. Submit to them, even though they're not godly. Because he says, by your own conduct, by your own attitude, you may actually be the very means that God will use to bring that Man, that husband, to know the Lord Jesus as his Savior. So it's really kind of interesting when you look at all of the insights here uh, that this, this is a priority of trust. The wife is to look at her husband with that kind of respect. The next point of our sermon is our text then puts the lady first in the troubadour's concentration. Now, I was trying to make it sound with a, a T and a C, so that's why it's a troubadour. Uh, I think of the troubadour song when they sing at weddings. You know, then there's love, and there's love. You know, it's, it's all that kind of stuff about uh, all that, that, that wonderful, huggy-kissy kind of mentality. You may kiss the bride. Everybody likes that part. There even is usually applause in church when that kind of thing happens. But what what the the apostle is saying here in chapter 3, verse 19, after he's explained all this stuff about being in Christ, he says, husbands, I got your attention now. Husbands, you know, you guys that are supposed to have wives that submit to you, he says, husbands, this is from God. You should love that bride that you have. It's so clear. And when I read through the text, the concentration of your love is supposed to be not for everybody, not for every woman you see, but for your own wife. The power of love is quite an interesting thing. And then, as he goes through and explains this to, to the individuals, you, you you recognize it pretty quickly that this is a this is a, a guiding feature. Like in First Corinthians chapter 13, he explains what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not think of itself. It thinks no evil. It bears. Uh, it, it it bears, and it and it continues on. You can read all about love. Love doesn't give up. Love doesn't fade. And love doesn't get used up. You know, the Bible says that, that there's always enough love because the love that we're supposed to love with is the love that God pours into our hearts. We end up just simply our conduits of it. The, the love of God comes into our hearts and then the love of God flows through us. And husbands, that love from God is to flow towards your bride, your own wife. When you understand that, it is the troubadour's concentration. Husbands, focus. Focus. It is really sad when people are focused on so many other things. When guys no longer even notice their wives. It's not supposed to be that way. When you realize that, that uh, this, this love is a beautiful thing, the husband uh, is called to love this individual. He is, out of all the people in the world, he takes notice of her to cherish her till death do them part, as the vows often are said. His love is not conditioned upon her obedience, her submission, or her performance, or even her nice words or not so nice words. It's really interesting when you understand what goes on. Now the third point here, and I'm going to get to some of these applications in a moment. The lady is fir- is is put first uh, because, uh, as I was reading in, in our in our points here, uh, that our text puts the lady first in the trainee's conversion. Okay, and this is only uh, in context that Paul is telling these new people that are in Christ to put off all the things. And if you have your Bibles open in Colossians 3, you're going to be able to clearly see that the things that you're supposed to put off are are bad things, okay? In in chapter 3, he says, um, he says, put to death, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And this is what we're supposed to all be putting to death, sexual immorality, impurity, passion or evil passions and evil desires and covetousness. He says, we're supposed to put all these things away, He says, we used to walk in them, if you look at verse 7, and these you once walked, and you were living in them. This was your normal life. You had these these sexual immorality things. You were impure. You had evil desires. He said, this is normal. This is what sinners do. But he says, but now, but now that you're in Christ, that's not what saints are supposed to be doing. And he says, you must now, verse 8, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and, don't, and put away lying as well. It's really kind of interesting what happens when you become somebody that Christ changes. Behold, all things become new. Now, with that new relationship, the fact that now all those things that used to be are put away, now look at what you have to put on. He says, put on love. It brings harmony. And then he starts listing wives, hu- uh, husbands, Children and fathers. Now, do you understand now the context where we're at? He says, now, this this person is a newbie, okay? Uh, A husband that has to love his wife. It really seems foolish to actually say that you need to tell husbands to love their wives. Why would they get married? And if you're going to tell me they're, because they have a a different definition of love there, maybe the world has been pushing that. But if you love, it's not supposed to be just one aspect of a person, but it's the whole, head, heart, and hands. It's it's the, 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 the soul as well as the body. And it's really interesting when you look here that I call this, you're putting the lady first in the trainee's conversion. The husband here is already receiving the submission of his wife. The husband is already being told that he needs to love this gal, just like Jesus loved and then he's being trained because there's a problem with this guy. He's not in heaven yet. I mean, wives, I just want you to know you've not married a perfected saint. Okay? Give them a little grace. But the counsel that the apostle is writing to the believers at Colossae, he says that they ought to, uh, they ought to not be harsh with them. I just want to think through a little bit and say, why would a husband be harsh with his wife? Okay, I could look at it from the one side and say, guys, why have you been harsh with your wife? Now, you're going to say, well, what does harsh mean? You know, there's several places in Scripture that talk about harshness. And uh, one of them is the way that the Egyptians were treating the, uh, the people in Egypt, the God's people in Egypt. It says they were harsh taskmasters overbearing, ruthless, demanding, no grace. That's one way of looking at it. Now, some of you guys, I know nobody stood up to volunteer and say when the last time you were harsh with your wife. Uh, Obviously, if you were going to confess that you were harsh, then you're still one of the trainees. You're still learning how not to be harsh. Okay? Uh, Now, some of you guys might say, well, is that harsh in tone or is that harsh in intent? I don't know. I can tell you that the apostle had heard about the the fact that these guys were harsh. He had heard that there was a lot of difficulties. Marriage wasn't so popular because the guys were being harsh on the people that they were supposed to be loving. Now, I was going to ask the ladies, when was the last time your husband was harsh with you? I'm not going to look at Tracy. (laughs) Do you have a list? I hope you're not checking it twice. You know, I don't want you to keep a long list. But if you're already able to say, wow, yeah, he was harsh with me then. Oh, he was harsh with me here. He was harsh with me because I spent too much money. Oh, he was harsh with me because I was late for this. And he was, you know, you could just come up with all the harsh things. Now, some of you might have an unrealistic, harsh measuring stick. You looked at me harsh. Harsh. I'm not sure that... I'm pretty sure that the apostle was not talking about just a look. This was mistreatment. This was not treating someone with respect. And it's really interesting that in... As I was reading there in Ephesians, uh, where he ends up explaining some of these things... uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's shameful to even speak of the things that are being done behind the curtain. This is Ephesians 5.12. But when, but when anything is exposed by the light, then it becomes seen, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible in, is light. Therefore, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, Christ is going to shine on you. In other words, as a Christian, as somebody that the Holy Spirit is working on, now look carefully how you walk. In other words, in light of the scriptures, in light of the Holy Spirit working on you, hey, everybody, guys in particular right now, look at how you're walking through life and don't be unwise But be wise. In other words, have eyes to see and and pay attention, making the best use of the time that you have because we're living in evil days. Man, he was writing this back in the first century. We always are living in evil days. He says, therefore, people of God, do not be foolish, foolish know what the will of the Lord is. This is verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't just drink your sorrows away. If you have a difficult wife, don't just drink away to be able to forget her. He says, all that is debauchery, debauchery, addressing, but instead you ought to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then because of your newness in Christ, because you're thanking God, because you have a song in your heart, you know, better than even the whistle of the, uh, the dwarfs. <laughs> I mean, if you've got Jesus in your heart, you ought to have a new disposition. You ought not to be the grumpy Gus. And he says, when you're thanking God, verse 21, it sets the stage here for all these talks. You can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Whoa. You see, it's not about conditions, it's not about performance. We all are to be submitting one to another. And then he starts off because wives are first. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he says, because the husband is the head of the wife. And, and he clearly explains that. Just like Christ is the head of the church, and, it, and he gave himself for it. So in, in the people in Ephesus got a bigger explanation. But can you see how clear this is? When you or a rookie, or when you're an enlistee in the Lord's army, when you're brought into the people of God, guys, you need to learn this quicker than slower. Don't be harsh with your wife. I think marriage would be a lot more fun. You know, I also believe that... uh, some of the questions that might arise out of this sermon. I, I wanted to get to some of those application questions and get you thinking about a few things. But uh, there is a beauty. I, I was going to say uh, that the lady is first because the sanctification, of, uh, the sanctification of responsibility. This is where the husband is given the responsibility to take care of his family. And therefore, he is not supposed to be harsh and damage it, but he's supposed to be gracious and work with it. He's not supposed to be a taskmaster like the Egyptians were. He is supposed to be one who loves. And it's really interesting that to love this person, to be willing to die for this person, because that person is willing to work with you. Having understood all that, I want to go to the conclusion with a few applications, because you've heard this. You've probably heard it before, but you've not probably heard it like this. So, last week, we talked about wives submit to your own husbands. This sounded like uh, obedience because I went through, it says you were supposed to submit in everything. Every time I read it, I had to take another drink. It was hard to read. But I wanted to give you a little bit of an explanation that I didn't get to give last week. You see, because you can't have a wife submitting to nobody, you have to have a wife submitting to who? Her own husband. And you really can't have a husband loving nothing, The husband is supposed to love his wife. And so you really can't break the two apart. It's like two parts that make one thing a marriage. You have a husband and you have a wife and you don't have a husband or you don't have a wife if you don't have a marriage. Okay, and so when you realize that the wife is going to submit to her husband, the husband is going to love the wife, it's because this bond is real. Okay, this is already established in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. In other words, from being a kid, he's going to grow up. He's going to establish his own family. He's going to cleave to his wife. Did you hear the word wife? Yes. So you have a man cleaving to his wife, and the two become one. And that oneness is not just, as I said, physical, but it is also in a unit. And you can't pull it apart. That's why if you're just going to have wives with no husbands, then you don't have wives. You just have women. And if you're going to have husbands that that are going to love, if they don't have a wife, then they're loving something else. This is why it's so interesting that when the the apostle was using things like in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I read this passage last week with a drink of water, and I said, Wives, do not it's a shame for a wife to be speaking in church. She should go home and ask her husband. And I just left it there, right? Did any of you get an explanation? I got one. Now that you can see that it takes a husband and a wife to make a marriage unit, then you can see that the submission and the love are also linked together. You can't really pull them apart because that's what makes a marriage. That's what make what I, in counseling, I call oneness. That oneness is established. Now, when when you have the situation in First Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, remember I told you it's a sin city. Uh, they have a lot of ships coming in. They have a lot of sailors. They have a lot of money. There's a lot of things flowing. A lot of things going on. <clears throat> it's a sin city. And and what happens in that city is that some of the people became Christians, but there were a lot of non-Christians, and there was a lot of people pulling into different activities and some synchronism going on, where some of the Christians were starting to blend with some of the non-Christians just to be able to get along. You know how that works, because you've probably done it too. I have been tempted to do it too. We think, well, we'll just be nice. You can't compromise Christianity. You just can't. It's not Christianity if you pollute it. Now, here's what the point is, is that in the church at Corinth, there was a couple of situations where there was a lot of confusion going on. They had a worship service, and it was pretty raucous. It wasn't that nobody showed up or everybody was sick and they couldn't do music, but they had lots of people doing this and doing this and doing this, and they were wearing all kinds of clothes, and they had people with all different kind of hairdos, and they had lots of stuff happening. There were people that were trying to do communion, and they were getting hungry, so they ate a lot. In fact, when they used wine in communion there, they drank enough to get drunk. A little bit of excess. But in chapter 14, he's talking about these spiritual gifts and boy, did they have some spiritual people there too because when they got a spiritual gift, it wasn't just average. They would always make it better than than everybody else's. I can speak in tongues better than you. I can do this. I can help better than you. I have two hands. You only have one. I mean... It was kind of stupid and foolish, but in that particular church, you had these women and you had these men, and they, and what the Bible says is that the word got back to Paul that there was there was unruliness, it was out of control, people wouldn't shut up. And so the Apostle Paul, with the authority of Christ, he says, things ought to be done decently and in order. You can read that, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. It's on the back of the bulletin card on the top part. That's our theme verse for having an orderly worship service. It's because that's the way it should be when you come to meet with God. It's not chaos. What was going on was chaotic. There were women that were saying a lot of different things, and there was a lot of questions going on. And when these questions were saying, somebody else said something, and somebody else said something, and they never got answers. And when you were there, instead of being resolved, people were more confused and there was no direction. There was no order. And so, therefore, the Apostle Paul steps in with apostolic authority because in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, God had given gifts of leadership to the church on Pentecost. When he ascended on high, he gave these gifts, these leaderships, pastors, evangelists, uh, and, and, and teachers. I mean, when you look at that list, this is what Paul was doing. He was one of the people that God raised up to give order to the church. And he said, hey, Pause. Hit pause. There's a lot of confusion going on in that worship service. He says, Women, go home and ask your husband what's good and not good. Now, that sounded a little better than the way I read it in the text in the, in the verbatim translation. What he's really saying is, There's a guy who loves you with all of his heart. There's a guy. Who is your husband? He's not your enemy. He's not supposed to be harsh with you. There's so much confusion going on, and you're saying something different than he's saying because nobody's coming to agreement. They're not having the peace that passes understanding permeate the church. So much confusion. Everybody's got an opinion. It's almost like today, if you walk around, do you wear a mask, do you not wear a mask? Do you get a shot, do you not get a shot? There's so many opinions. First thing you should do is work it out with your spouse so you can be one. The husband and wife do not need to be at odds. And this is one of the beautiful things that should be worked out. Go home and get it worked out. Now, what happens when you get home? I could just see it. All this confusion going on in the church. I could see the guy coming in. Woman, what are you doing? You're making me look bad. He's being a little harsh, I think. It's not the way it should be done. It's not like the woman needs to come home and put her head on the desk. Wait to be, oh yes, you can answer now. No, that's not it at all. This whole concept of being able to come home and have a safe home. How can two people agree unless they work it through? And this is one of the things that might be a little hard for you to swallow. I could take another drink is that when you don't agree, then you have to agree with the husband. And that's tough to swallow. Okay, let's make an an, an application from Ephesians 5. Okay, the church is trying to do what we want to do. We've decided that we as a church, the bride of Christ here, we're going to borrow a million dollars. We're just going to go ahead and do it. And when we borrow that million dollars... We'll make everybody's life so much better. For your, if you're a church member, you all get a thousand bucks. I mean, the government's doing it now, right? Why can't the church do it? I'm, I'm absolutely mocking. My point is this: is if we did something as the bride of Christ that was not in accord with what Christ wanted, who's wrong? But we had good intentions. Oh, we really thought about it. We even got a congregational meeting and there wasn't even any dissent. Everybody thought the $1,000 idea was great. I was glad I was going to have more kids then we got more money. I mean, what I'm trying to show is the mockery that we're not in a position to say to Christ, no, we're not going to do what you want. Now, when you understand this, where does the burden come? Does the burden fall on the wife who submits or on the husband that leads? It's no problem to follow Christ when Christ has given you an ambassador that is going to love you and lead you in the path of righteousness. The reason you're at a church is you're believing that this guy up front is going to open the Word of God and preach the truth to you in love. That's why you're here. If you had a false preacher up here, if you had a wolf in sheep's clothing or whatever they want to call him, a deceiver, you would, not, you would not want to keep following. But ladies, it's no problem to do Colossians 3.18 when your man is following Christ. And that's why when you go home and you work these things through, you talk it out, you're going to find that this is what the Lord will have us do. Now, That usually only happens, at least in the church life I've been around with, that only happens when you're doing a pledge campaign for church. You know, when the church is going to tell you, we are going to build a million-dollar building, and we need you guys to pledge. So what are you supposed to do? Well, we always tell you to pray about it. I mean, everybody tells you to pray about it. Do you actually pray about it? Most of you do when it comes to parting with your money. Okay? But one of the other things we always do is go with your husband and your wife and pray together. It's really interesting that when you come back together and you say, this is what we are going to pledge. This is what we, by God's grace, are going to do. Then the two of you do that. I've heard several of you since I've been up here that have talked about For His Glory campaign. That takes you back to only a few of you left because I've been here 11 years and that was done about 12 years ago. I think if you, it's so hard to imagine that this church has paid off because God worked through people, through couples, a lot of couples, and they prayed and sought the Lord's will, and he gave them direction. Brothers and sisters, when you get to understand all of these things, you can see the beauty of God's plan for marriage and not the ugliness of it. Now, if you take your, your fourth point, I just want to highlight. Last week, I told you that the world was giving you a vain philosophy. They were giving you different concepts of the way it should be. And they, they were talking about what women were doing to not be the women that God said. I mean, which women in 2021, uh, if you look at all the Congress people, especially the ones that are on TV a lot, how many of them are submitting to their own husbands? I don't know. But I was talking about how the culture is advocating that they replace them or that they substitute for them. Let me, let me do it for men today. Uh, I want to affirm the biblical order. So number one, man is not interchangeable with a woman. Okay, I just want you to make sure you know that. They're not interchangeable. You cannot say a man and a woman are equal. If, you, if you're going to do that, you're going to put down the man and you're going to put down the woman. They, they are not identical. They are not the same. They're different. God made them different, and you can see that even when you, when you go to the doctor. Anytime you look at, at any biology book, you can see that there's differences even though we're made of the same substance. Secondly, man does not need to be replaced by a woman. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6, I think I have that text in front of me here. Uh, this is where the Apostle Peter was trying to explain these things. Uh, if I have my... First Peter yeah I'm going to have to look it up in the scripture. I don't have my copy in front of me. Uh, it's really tough when I've got too many t- passages in front of me. Uh, First Peter, he ends up arguing um, I'll go ahead and turn here and we'll read it together. In First Peter chapter 3, right before he says that you're supposed to give a reason for the hope that is in you, he ends up saying that wives and husbands. Likewise, wives, this is the Apostle Peter, chapter three, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by your conduct. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and and of clothing you wear, but let your adorning be on the inside. Let it be like the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty and a gentle and quiet spirit, which which in God's sight is very, very precious. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. They were known not for their loud mouths, but they were known for their submission. And the scripture says... Even verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, she called him Lord. You are her children if you, do, if, you, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then you see that beautiful thing. I told you wives were first here, then husbands. Likewise, husbands. Or conversely, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not go hindered. And it's really interesting when you look through all of that, the applications that I was trying to show is that, uh, that man does not need to be replaced by woman because God made them both beautiful. Men and women are not free to reset the roles established within a biblical marriage. You cannot just redefine marriage. Uh, fourth, mankind does not have the authority to dismiss the seventh commandment. You know what God wrote with his own finger? Thou shalt not love another woman beside your wife. Don't commit adultery. Now, he doesn't put it quite like that because it also is the other way around. Women, you're not supposed to be with another man that's not your husband. Uh, that's why in, in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, the only place where all this intimacy is undefiled is in marriage. Now, if you look at uh, a couple more, men and women are interdependent. Uh, if you look at that verse that I just read in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where he said that, that, that woman comes out of man in the, in the creation account, but... Men come out of women by birth. He said it's really neat. There's a, an interdependence. And this is part of the reason why you can't say that one is better than the other. Whatever you are is great, but there's no confusion and you can't change it. As I was listening to a report at, 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 uh, by one of the young people at school, they were talking about the transgender people who are not happy with what they are and they want to have the other. Well, I love the one quote they had from a secular person. No matter how many hormones you take, no matter how many surgeries you have, you, if you're a man, you will never become a woman. You will be a very, 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 very feminine man. And, and the reverse is true, too. If you're a woman trying to become a man, you will never, ever, 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 ever become a man, even though you might be pretty ma- masculine. You might even be able to grow a better beard than me. You will never be a man. This is why we are interdependent because God designed us this way. And I wrap things up. Men and women invite uh, problems when they explore unnatural paths. And this is uh, Romans chapter 1. When you do things that are unnatural, please, 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 don't follow the voices that says, let's try this. We've already given an inch here. So now they're going to take a mile. And before long, there will be some things that are said sexually that are going to be so difficult for you to even utter. What's being taught in some of the public school systems, I, I, you know, they, 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 uh, I remember hearing recently in the last two weeks, some parents went to a school board and then when they read what was in the textbook, what was being taught to their child, some of which they heard from Zoom, it was bleeped out on the radio because it's so Immoral. And they think that they're doing justice by teaching everybody how you can have sex with anything, anytime. And the whole point is, is they are polluting the very marriage unit that is the hope for the future. One man, one woman, for one lifetime. The last thing I have to finish as a wrap-up is that when the Apostle Paul finished in in the book of Ephesians, and he explained it to these men and these women, I don't think they were gagging. I'm like, (coughs) yeah, I don't think they were doing that. I think they realized that this is God's way. It ought to be beautiful. If we run into Christian a Christian marriage. This ought to be normal. A Christian marriage that the husband and wife are a unit. That ought to be normal. And how would they look like a unit? Well, when they come to church, they're not spouting off two different messages. They're working in tandem. Another thing is that they just don't live separate lives. They work together because God has joined them together. And when you realize this, the submission is not an ugly thing at all. It just says, okay, we're a team. And the leadership is going to be from a guy, and I can speak from experience. Sometimes you're really trying to figure out what does the Lord want us to do? One of the first people I'll ask is that lady. Because she's going to be riding the bus that I'm driving, or in our case, driving the Suburban. Okay. She'll be in the car, and she'll be going wherever I end up taking her. Uh, and that's the way we work it out. Now, it, it's not an, a sin if, if, if you switch drivers or if you're, some of you are, are doing the finances instead of this. And there's a lot of things that are interchangeable that you work together as a unit. Praise God that we have s- some strengths. I would be really skinny right now if it was, if the kitchen duties were left up to me. The thing that I'm trying to show you is that marriage in Christ is wonderful. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody that has been given the gift of celibacy. Praise God that you're able to serve the Lord without a distraction. Sometimes my wife tells me that I might have been better off that way. (laughs) If you give so many hours to the church, then where are the hours for the family? I don't know if that's true for you. But if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says he'll take care of these things. Okay, the beauty of seeing all this come together is a, is, is a portrait of the gospel. That's why I ask in your final question if you take the take-home, is marriage gonna last the uh the, the postmodern maneuvers? Is it gonna survive? In 20 years, will there still be people getting married? Or will there just be a chip on their hand that says that they got vaccinated and that that they're, who their partner is and how many, I mean, I could get into all those kind of things of whatever technology's gonna do. I'll tell you this. I can guarantee that God is not gonna change the equation of a marriage. And Song of Solomon says a little bit about it, but in, in chapter four, it says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Do you know what that means? It means the husband and the wife and God weaving them together into one unit, that will not be easily broken. I pray that you understand this beauty because Paul says it's a mystery of how this all comes together, but it gives you a little bit better understanding of Christ and his church, of how God, who loves us, and he's going to unite with us for all eternity, and we yield to him not because we have to, but because we would be fools not to. Because he'll never lead us astray. For greater love could not have been shown than when he laid down his life for his church, for us. Who's got the harder deal? The wives or the husbands? I think it's the same. Who has to be the lover or who has to be the submitter? Who's got to go first? I think you both have to go together. But My prayer is I think that young people are watching. And a part of the reason why the younger crowd does not flock to the church is because I don't think we've experienced a lot of that mystery bliss. Can you imagine singing to one another, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, and submitting to one another? It almost sounds like we're fruitcakes. But that's what happens when you're not worried and stressed about that oneness breaking apart. Brothers and sisters, God gave that gift to show us how even more intimate our Savior is to his church. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given us an attention to the word of God. And I do pray that as we apply these things, that instead of feeling like this is a checklist that we have to check, I pray instead that we will marvel at what you designed Lord, when we talked about the ministry of reconciliation, it was to not just do what the world does, but to have our lives and our marriages transformed, to be reconciled with the original image. Lord, I pray that you'll give us all a little bit more of a taste of the Garden of Eden before the eating of that fruit. Lord, before that time, the husband and the wife, they were happy, they were holy. And after they ate that fruit... They had conflict after conflict. They had shame. They were afraid of what they looked like. They did have to find new housing. Everything didn't seem to work out. Lord, and it was even sad that the woman that you had given to Adam, and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa man!" That woman, he immediately said, God, it's your fault that you gave her to me. Lord, when we realize how sin creeps up and destroys that beautiful Beautiful harmony. I pray that you'll be having us quick to our knees. And I pray that our fellowship with our spouse will be likened to that above. I pray this in Jesus' name.